good afternoon, I can say from New York. Um, I'm delighted to be here. And of course, we, we um, are asking people to join in this conversation as we have decided. I'm here with my wife, Stephanie. This is Reverend J. Stewart Glover. And we have decided to talk a little bit about what do you know about Jesus? That's the topic. As we head into this uh, Easter celebration, these high holy days for the Christian tradition, it's good to sit back and, and ponder what it is that we think we know or that we do know about Jesus. So I would, I would like to start out simply by saying that, and I'm speaking from a, a, a lens of Christian tradition, that Jesus is the second person of the triune Godhead. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the three are one. They are distinct offices and functions of one God, but yet the three persons of the, the triune Godhead are inseparably joined together in an ineffable communion. Yes, this, this Trinitarian reality challenges the intellectual capability of many, and it should. Um, I mean, how do you, how does, you know, three persons fit into one God, right? Well, God is greater than our ability to fully understand God. And there, there are mysteries that remain. Anybody who has reconciled with themselves that they understand everything about God, please reach out to me and tell me what you know. <clears throat> and we can have a, a, a discussion offline. So... Also counterintuitive to the human intellect, and, and in answer to this question of what do we know about Jesus, I can begin by saying, well, we know about his, his pre-existence. Um, I know that he was, that he was pre-existent to any concept of time as we know it. He, he existed before you and I, before the Bible, before the church. Before anything was, God was. This second person of the Godhead, Jesus, was pre-existent to theology and even religion itself. He was in existence before the universe was formed. And he existed before your struggle, and he certainly knows all about it. So you may say, well, Reverend Glover, um, that's very clearly articulated, but where do you get all that from? Well, I'm led to the Gospel of John, the, the first chapter, um, verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was there before the sun and the moon were placed in the sky and before the heavens were even sprinkled with the stars. There was never a moment in which the second person of the Godhead did not exist. You know, all things were made through him, even you and I. So what I'm putting forth, my proposition is when I talk about the pre-existence of Jesus, I'm saying that there wasn't God the Father and then somehow a son that was created later and a Holy Spirit was created later. The three were joined together in and from the beginning. That's a rather Trinitarian view, but I'm speaking from the lens of my tradition. So, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He said, Let us make man in our image. Who is he speaking about? The us? Who were the us? Well, I've heard a lot of schools of thought about on who the, who the us were, but I'm sticking with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in answer to that question, part one, what do we know about Jesus? We know of his preexistence. 
Um, again, if there there are people listening here, I, I certainly see, is it Sharente Carr? Um, and Catherine, if you if you um, feel like Eddie Ingram, if you feel like jumping in with, with a question or, or a comment, please do. Um, so we also, secondly, uh, we also know in answer to this question, what do you know about Jesus? We also know about his incarnation. And what do I mean by incarnation? I mean, let me put it this way. God, out of love for the world, humanity, God saw it fit to enter our struggle to bring this way of salvation. And when I say way of salvation, I mean a way of reconnecting and, and restoring us to right relationship with God. So in response to a, a sinful humanity, the remedy was initiated and set in motion by the creator of all. He became flesh in the person of Jesus the Christ. One of my favorite things to say is that God in the person of Jesus the Christ has entered into our struggle. He has entered into our suffering. And it should come as no surprise that the one through whom all things were created would be the same one through whom God works out his plan for our rescue, for our salvation. His coming, again, I'm speaking through the lens of Christian tradition and Christian uh, theology, his coming was prophesied through Isaiah in the seventh chapter and the 14th verse. It says that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So in the, the idea of incarnation, Jesus took on a body like ours, one that was able to die for our sins. Jesus was birthed in the flesh, clothed in humanity, yet without sin. It's important to pause and remember the virgin birth through Mary. For this divine intervention was not to come through the reproductive efforts of a fallen humanity, but by the uninterrupted power and grace of God. When God decided to enter into humanity, he did it without the help of a man, without the help of a sinful man. But instead, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. God would overshadow this woman who would conceive, carry, and deliver the only begotten Son of God. Which, I have to take a little side note here, a little sidebar, personal opinion. You know, there are some traditions or some, some religious leaders who who don't allow women to teach, to preach, um, to, to be leaders in the church. And I, I don't understand that. I mean, we just said that God overshadowed the woman and allowed her to conceive. You know, we refer to Jesus as being the word of God. So the woman could conceive the word, carry the word, and deliver the word. So what is it today that we we have difficulty with allowing women to be leaders in the church. I'm a Baptist, so amen goes right there. Amen. So to further explore this idea of the incarnation, I would talk briefly about an early church controversy, a theological debate that still challenges the intellectual capacity and the religious minds of many today. When I say early church, I mean early fourth century. In the days of the early church, there were those who rejected the idea of God coming in the flesh. Why? Because they were those who believed that the flesh is inherently evil and therefore God who his spirit would never enter into the flesh of humanity. They were thematically opposed to divinity coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Jacques Dupree in his book, 
Who Do You Say I Am? An Introduction to Christology, he informs the reader that um, uh, during the early church, the Council of Nicaea, in response to this great controversy, they gathered in great numbers and concluded with the decisive ruling that the Son, now listen to this, is of one substance with the Father, or the same substance as the Father. Don't forget, we're still talking about, what do you know about Jesus? The Incarnation. In another debate, the early church theologian Athanasius, who died in the year 373 AD, argued that the Son was of the same substance as the Father. Defending this Nicene Trinitarian orthodoxy, he also faced another group that rejected the idea of God coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus. This argument and debate didn't go away and it still hasn't gone away. But there was another council gathering. It was the ecumenical council gathered in Chalcedon in the year AD 451. There were 520 bishops in attendance in Turkey. They argued and debated this point in the face of public opinion. And they concluded, hear this one, that the divine and human nature as being present in Jesus the Christ. According to this Chalcedon Council, Jesus Christ is fully divine and fully human. Their um, term to describe this union was the hypostatic union. That's a pretty fancy term to describe the presence of divinity and humanity in the person of Jesus. Today, we simply say that Jesus was all man, yet without sin, and all God. This point is, is critical to the core of our faith. It also serves to remind us of this. If in the unity of the triune Godhead, we know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share the same essence, substance, being, then we must know that our claim to be filled with the indwelling Holy Spirit is saying that the same God who created the heavens and the earth is not only sovereign, transcendent, and all-powerful, but, but he's closer than near to us. He is so close as to being within us. That's right. God, all-powerful God, is in you. He's in me. And, and I certainly do declare that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Therefore, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So what do you know about Jesus? God is in me, that's what I know. So yeah, the question is still open of what, what do you know about Jesus as we move in to our getting ready to celebrate Easter. We're emerging from the, the um, the remaining days of the Lenten season. And, and the Lenten season was is a period of time, 40 days before Easter, um, that represents a time for us to engage in, in preparing for this Easter celebration, for inviting God to further, um, to further um, encounter us and us to encounter God in this 40-day period so that we can... Um, our lives can be made better, that we can embrace the love of God and, and in, a, in, a, in a more profound way and be representatives of God in, in this world that we live in, in a troubled world that we live in. So it certainly makes sense to, to ponder what it is that we know about Jesus as we prepare for our Easter celebration. And if you're out there and you have something to say, please feel free to come on in and join. Um, 
so I, I said I know about the the pre-existence of Jesus before time God was um, I know about the incarnation of Jesus how now just think about this um, how how the Abram how the angel appeared to Mary and announced to her that she found favor with God and would have a child to be named Jesus. Think about that now. Um, my studies have shown that Mary was probably somewhere around 14 to 16 years old. Now, that might not be ideal in our culture, but back then, that was the reality of the day. Now, here she is, though. It becomes a little bit more complex than that. Stephanie, if you could find that passage of Scripture um, where the angel announces um, the birth of Christ as coming, that she would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and give birth to this child. Her situation was she was, like, engaged to be married and to someone who, whom she had no relations with. She was a virgin. So think about that. Think about them traveling and she is engaged to be married and all of a sudden she pops up pregnant. And Joseph knows that it wasn't him. So Mary was afraid. She was terrified. Joseph was stressed out. So when, when we read about this annunciation, Mary's annunciation, the announcement of, of the angel to Mary, um, it says that Mary, um, the angel comes and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Bible immediately says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. It goes on to tell him that he's going to have a baby. He should be called Jesus. And and um, and she asked, well, wait a minute, how is all of this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So I mentioned the complexities around, I mean, she was, let's say, 14 years old, 14 to 16. She's engaged to be married and here comes this angel giving her this news that she would be um, uh, impregnated by the whole through the holy spirit by god himself and god would father this child imagine that so this was totally upsetting to her life but if you keep reading that story mary decided to have your way lord you know i'm your servant um so as, as upsetting as it was, she was to the, as upsetting as it was to the normalcy of her life, she agreed to go with God. So eventually, um, Jesus was born. And we know that, that when, as Mary was, was pregnant and they were traveling, that they found a, a, a little place, it was an inn. And they were rejected. They were refused to even stay at the inn. They said there was no room in the inn. And uh, he had to be laid in a, um, in like a little barn, I guess you could call it. And there Jesus was wrapped in cloths, wrapped in rags, the son of God. So anyway, the, the Jesus, the only begotten son of God entered into our struggle. So I know about the ministry of Jesus. I talked about knowing about the pre-existence of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. And so now we get to the ministry of Jesus. And when I think about the ministry of Jesus, again, to repeat a, uh, to repeat something that I said was that God has entered into our struggle. So Jesus preached. He preached about the kingdom of God being at hand. He taught. He taught against, against those who believed that they had attained their righteousness through the knowledge of the law. 
which is in opposition to what we believe, which is that righteousness is attained through faith in Christ, the gift of God, the Son of God. He taught about this way of salvation through Christ and, and how to live out this Christian faith tradition. If you read the book of Matthew, some have referred to the book of Matthew as being the procedure manual for the early church. And that same procedure manual is good today. The early church was introduced to a way of life guided by godly principles through the teachings of Christ. So what, do I, what else do I know about the ministry of Jesus from the biblical text? Well, I know that he was what we, we like to say a, a miracle worker. And the miracles were a witness to the power of God. And they, they captured the essence of the ministry of Jesus. Well, why do you say that, Reverend Glover? Well, he gave, actually gave sight to the blind. He really healed the leper. He fed the hungry and he raised the dead. Each one of these miracle stories, and there are many in the Bible, are a snapshot of the ministry of Jesus. And they are lessons in and of themselves. For instance, he gave sight to those blinded by inadequate religious understanding and practice. He healed the afflicted and the marginalized those who were rejected from society and the faith community. But what do you mean? Who, who are you talking about? Well, for instance, the, um, the lepers. The lepers were stricken with a deadly illness and they were considered unclean. They were considered religiously unclean and marginalized and excluded from the faith community. They weren't allowed to mingle with other people. They weren't allowed to to be part of the religious um, practice and ceremonies. They were rejected from society and the faith community. And it is these people that Jesus went to with a healing touch and he loved them. So the question for us becomes, who are the marginalized today? Who are the ones that are marginalized and who are the ones rejected from the faith community? And I'll just give you a little personal insight. I mean, even though I don't personally, um, I don't personally identify as being a, an LGBTQ person, my heart, I have a special place in my heart for the community, people of the community, because they experience um, rejection by the faith community, the leaders of the church, it's no secret, have often rejected, condemned, um, uh, and excluded them from the faith community because of their identity. And these are exactly the people that we read about in the Bible, who Jesus, um, who, uh, who Jesus reached out to. I have a guest, and I would like to hear from that person so I believe we are good to go. And thanks for coming in. Hi, Reverend Jay. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Uh, beyond blessed. How about you? Oh, I'm doing well. Doing well. Excellent. Hey, bravo on your topic there. Uh, what do we know about King Jesus? Beautiful. Nothing more important. Good for you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I have uh, quite a crazy busy morning with a lot of stuff going on, but I wanted to slip up and say, you know what? What you're speaking about, uh, there's nothing more important than life. So good for you, my brother. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, there are so many, um, so many different theories about who Jesus was and mm -hmm. and how we re need how we need to respond to who He was and who He is in our lives today and what God is calling us to be in the, in this troubled world. So let me ask you a question, if you don't mm -hmm. um, How do you feel, God, knowing about this ministry of Jesus, the things mm -hmm. that we just talked about, mm -hmm. what do you, how do you feel that we are led to respond to that in today's world? 
Well, uh, I can speak as a man of faith. Came to Christ when I was 15 years old. So in my heart, in my life, and in light of this, that, uh, you know, I'm not 21 anymore. So when I go out and about in my life, uh, the unseen is more real to me than the seen. Um, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ. I know that he is the Son of God. And I, I've rested in that uh, faith. And whether I live until next week and I'm done, or until I'm 115 plus or done, amen and amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, you know, I think, um, again, and it's important, it's important to note that in this testimony, this biblical testimony that we have about what Jesus did mm -hmm. as he walked on the earth, I think it's important to take note of what he did. Mm -hmm. As reaching out to the marginalized and and the um, the 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 uh, excluded, mm -hmm. and, and we have a habit of doing that because of our doctrine, our traditions. We we create this other other out of people, mm -hmm. and and we kind of like you know we kind of like condemn them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's wonderful. So sure. God um, in opposition to God. I mean, if you think about it. The disciples in the Bible, they were the ones who stopped the little children from coming to Jesus. So mm -hmm. we don't want to be that type of disciple who stopped people from coming to God. Precisely right. And we can learn from uh, the, uh, the the 12 apostles, disciples, where uh, they're just like you and I. I mean, it would seem to me that uh, Peter was a fisherman and a cursive one at that that's myself in my life it's amazing how there was absolute humanity in all the disciples and in all of us there's one person that walked this earth that was sinless and it's the the one that we're speaking of so it blesses me that when i you know think about the pharisees the sadducees and like oh my gosh this jesus he's a friend of sinners we have course he came to call, you know, the lost, the th the forgotten, the downtrodden, you know. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is whether somebody is straight, gay, you know, uh, and anything in between. God loves us, man. I mean, Christ uh, took those nails for all of us. It, it doesn't matter. Does anybody know what's in somebody's heart and mind? No, God knows. I mean, God not only created uh, uh, man and woman, but he not only, you know, sees your heart, my heart, my mind, your mind, but he sees straight through our hearts and our minds. So so it doesn't matter if somebody's a billionaire or homeless or gay or straight or every single thing in between. Hey, Christ died for us. He loves us, period. And and it's tragic. It's it's I think for me, it's one of the worst things that can happen to a person is in this life is that they are made to feel condemned by God. And, and, and um, uh, I mean, people imagine that you're a person of faith and in your time of, in your time of despair in your time of, mm -hmm. of, of hopelessness, you turn to God and, mm -hmm. and you turn to him when you're having your mountaintop experiences. Mm -hmm. Imagine not having that God to turn to because somebody else told you mm -hmm. that you were going to hell. Or threatened you with some with 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 um, separation, eternal separation from God, mm -hmm. because because listen, I don't think there was a person that Jesus looked in the eye that he didn't love. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and even when the uh, the disciples walked with him, and they came out of a city, and it was maybe a Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a lot of junk going on in there, and they said, "Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and scorch the city to the ground?" He said, <laughs> "No." He said, no, he goes, I, I came to save man. I came to right. save man, not to destroy men's lives. Come on. Right. Yeah, the Gospel of John tells us that he came not to condemn the world, but to, to mm -hmm. save, save the world, right? Amen. But we somehow, as religious people, and I just say we, you know, I'm using a poetic license. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't do that. But we, mm -hmm. we, we have a tendency to, um, to offer condemnation as opposed to offering grace and mercy and love and kindness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What does God say to us? God says, I, I desire mercy. Mm -hmm. I desire mercy. So it's like, be merciful. I mean, I, I can speak to myself. Hey, Daniel, be full of mercy. Be gracious. Be forgiving. I mean, who are you? You've mm -hmm. been forgiven. So have that, you know, that attitude and that angle, you know. I don't care who it is, you know. You know, you bring up the word forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that we have a reductionist view of what forgiveness is. 
Mm. Um, I think that I've heard it said that, um, you know, some people say, well, and there's truth in it. Some people mm. say, well, forgiveness is really about you letting go of bitterness and, and forgiveness when somebody has offended you, because um, when you let it go, it, it helps your own personal well-being. And, mm. and it, you know, that holding on to that bitterness only um, only eats away at your own soul. So you may as well <laughs> let it go. But I'm going to tell you something. That might be truth in that, but but there's that's a, a reductionist view. That's not an all-inclusive view of what forgiveness is about. When Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, mm -hmm. he wasn't doing it for his own psychological well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, precisely right. We just had a, a, a series at uh, our local church here, and it was the, the seven sayings from the cross. And that was the exact first saying. Mm -hmm. After they put the nails through both of his feet and the nails through his hands, his wrists, you know, he said this. He said, if Father, forgive them. You know, they, they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think that when he said that, you know, he said, Father, forgive them. I think that he wasn't only talking about the people who were nailing him to the cross, but I think he was talking about us today as well. Absolutely. Um, um, and so there he was, brutalized, beaten, um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, beaten viciously mm -hmm. and, and beat all night long and slapped and spit in the face. And, mm -hmm. and there lying on the cross, hanging on this cross, he says... Mm -hmm. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His mm. gift of forgiveness was for to make possible our, the ones who did the offensive stuff, he made it possible for our restoration, our wholeness, and our, as we like to say, salvation. So in interpersonal relationships, when you when somebody offends you mm -hmm. and you offer your forgiveness to them, you are offering an opportunity for them to embrace restoration. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's more than just about letting go of bitterness so that you feel better about yourself. Yeah, precisely right and well said. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I think it's in the Psalms that said that uh, his face was marred beyond belief. I mean, his countenance, I mean, he was even hardly recognizable as a human being, as a man. He was so ripped apart with the cat of nine tails, with bone, with glass that not only did it, you know, slip into his skin on his back, but as they pulled it out, it ripped out flesh and probably some bone too. So imagine that happening to somebody that is sinless, you know, and, and, and gave up his life for us. I mean, I, we're human, but how can we not forgive? How can we not forgive? Well, you know, I think, I, and I don't know if you have to go, but if you come back on, please do. Um, uh, um, forgiveness, it, it calls us to, to an attribute of God that we don't fully embrace. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the reasons why, you know, a tragedy, I work with um, college students as, as well. And one of the mm. things that I see is that, and in the church, we don't fully embrace, we, we don't understand God's forgiveness, so we can't embrace, fully embrace it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is that um, we resist God's forgiveness. And mm. we, we linger in, and we, we wallow in our sorrow mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. opposed to embracing God's forgiveness. And when you do that, for too long of a period of time, mm -hmm. you know, um, you're playing a dangerous game. You end up turning yourself over to mm -hmm. um, deception um, that invites you to put you on a trajectory to despair. Much so. I'm going to slip out, slip back up for a couple of moments. And then okay. I'll slip back. Come on back in. I'm glad to um, have him come back and enjoy, enjoy talking to you. Um, but no, that's precisely right. I mean, obviously we're mortal. Right? We're, we're, we're born here, born in our sins. We'll die in our sins, but thank God for his grace and blood. The fact is, it's true in the Psalms when he says, hey, God says, uh, my ways are not your ways. My thinking is not your thinking. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So... Some of the, I mean, as the years and decades and decades go by, being uh, in faith, being in Christ, uh, certain things, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit become clear to my heart, clear to my mind. And it's mind-blowing to me 
that I'm forgiven, that we're forgiven. It's mind-blowing to me that, that he loved us first. Therefore, we love him. That's mind-blowing because I'm, <laughs> I'm a weird bird. I'm a wicked bird sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can join in with you on that one. Um, uh, we all have a testimony, and, and, you know, the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when I said that, people have a hard time embracing God's forgiveness it's for mm -hmm. that very reason. They look at what they did mm -hmm. and, and they think of themselves as being unworthy of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And, and, and this is, it, it, conf it confu confuses us. It's not our, it's beyond our intellectual capability to come well said. The, the fullness of God's love for us. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then as a result of that, as a result of us not being able to, embrace the fullness of God's forgiveness, we have a difficult time extending forgiveness to others. If we can't embrace it for ourselves, how are we going to embrace extend it to someone else? Exactly. And, right. And, and, you know, um, uh, you know, we, 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 that's not the normal go-to response of, well, I forgive you. But, you know, as we said already that when you do forgive somebody, um, you're off, you're giving, you're gifting them with the opportunity f to be restored to wholeness. And then it's in their lap, in their hands to accept that and, and be restored to wholeness with you. Uh, um, and then, you know, we're also resistant to, to asking people for forgiveness that we've offended, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and there's, there's a phenomenon in the church and it's a global, it's just as bad as a global pandemic. It's called mm -hmm. church hurt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People come to the church for healing and they end up getting their feelings hurt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they leave. So mm -hmm. I, have, I have a funny feeling that it's related to our inability as a, as church folk to, to perceive God, the fullness of God's forgiveness and extending that forgiveness to others. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's critical no matter what church we go to, where we go to church, it's critical to when, when you're alone, you know, when you're alone and alone and alone, and when you're quote unquote naked before God and pray to him, ask him to re reveal himself to you and he'll direct you to the right church. I mean, is, does it line up with the holy word of God? Because it's all about, it doesn't matter what the church says or that church says or what this preacher or that preacher says. It matters what uh, the words of Christ are. It matters what, you know, God says, period. It's God's holy word, period. That's it, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, thank, well, thank God. Go ahead. You know, when, um, again, as we look at, um, you know, as I look at the ministry of Jesus and say, well, wait a minute, how does this affect um what does this call us to, to be in this world? I said that he, he gave sight to the blind. He, he made the cripple to, to walk upright. Listen, I, I believe that he gives me the ability to walk upright in this troubled world, to walk circumspectfully. Um, I believe that he set example through his feeding the poor and demonstrating the providential care of God, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, he's our maker, he's our supplier, he meets all of our needs and needs and, and by raising the dead, he showed us that he would reconcile those who were dead in sin back to their father in heaven. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was on that list. Mm -hmm. Well you know you know what's interesting is um and it's probably been, I mean, people know this, but to me it's just it's mind blowing because Christ is a part of history. He, he's in the, the genealogy of this world. He, he walked this earth unequivocally. But, but if I may, before I slip out, read uh, this by Dr. James Allen Francis, One Solitary Life. And it's glorious to me. It blows my head. Uh, One Solitary Life. Uh, here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family, never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city, never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. Uh, accompany greatness. Uh, he had no cr uh, credentials but himself. 
While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave uh, through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. That was absolutely beautiful. You said that was James Allen Francis? Yeah, Dr. Uh, James Allen Francis. One One Solitary Life? Yeah, it's called One Solitary Life. Amazing. That's beautiful. Now, see, here's the thing. I don't know. You know, I'm a. I was ordained into the Baptist tradition. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what denomination of faith that you attach yourself to. Just but, but but right then and there, I think we're on the same page. <laughs> Absolutely. We are, you know, we're, we're going to put it this way, and this is true. As sure as the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west, we're going to be sitting at that marriage supper together, brother. Mm-hmm. I'll go, Reverend Jay. There you are. Give me a hug, my brother. Right. Amen. <laughs> amen, 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 amen. Well, Daniel, listen, Daniel, I really enjoyed talking to you this this afternoon. Um, Same. And and I hope that maybe we cross paths again sometime um, as we continue this um, talk about what do we know about Jesus. There's a lot to talk about how he he impacts our lives. And I want you. To, I'm going to ask you to keep in prayer our college students across the country, okay. around the world, because they are often. Um, and they find themselves unforgiving of themselves, and mm. and and um, it's a it's a difficult place to be. And keep the LGBTQ community in in, in prayer because they they also so, are feeling the um, the con- condemnation from mm-hmm. the church. And whom we love, man, uh, who, who God loves, whom Christ loves, and we love. Or is it uh, LB? Uh, you know. Well, they I, keep adding. They keep adding letters and numbers. Yeah, QBT. <laughs> you know, so God, God made man. God made woman. God loves all of us. Yeah. yeah so thank you, Reverend Jay. Wonderful to talk to you. God bless you now. Thanks. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome, sir. Take care now. All right. God bless you. Well, that was that was great. Um, a great visit by Daniel. He shared from his heart, and I really appreciate it. And like I said, I don't know what denomination he, he belonged to or how he identifies as what group of Christianity or or if he identifies as being spiritual but not religious. I don't know. But in that moment, with what he shared, we seem to be on the same page, and that's what's important. I mean, there are so many things that, that divide us from denomination to denomination, from religion to religion. But I'm telling you, it's time to lay that stuff aside. And, and think about God who created the heavens and the earth, our maker, and how we are called to represent, to be the people of God in this world today. I have friends who are Muslim. I have friends who are Jewish. And, and we, can, um, we can agree on many things in this life. Um, and the things that we agree on far outweigh the things that we don't agree on. You know, I, I have a joke with my, I work with a Muslim chaplain and he tells me, you know, he believes Jesus is, is a prophet. And I say, well, so do I. I just believe he's prophet, priest, and a king. So, so we, have our, we have our theological differences. But at the end of the day, I believe that God who created us all certainly stands for love, justice, and peace in this world. And if we can come together on that, the world would be a better place. So as I just continue for a little while longer talking about the ministry of Jesus, let me say this. I have a gather my little note here. I, I said that he fed the poor. 
he made the lame to walk. And I, I pray that, you know, all of those miracle stories are in fact, um, are in fact snapshots of, of the ministry of Jesus. And they have, they have greater meaning. They had great meaning in their practice, in the practical situations, but there's also some, um, uh, greater implications and in, in through those acts is giving sight to the blind. He, he, I, you know, I ask God to give me sight every day and in my spiritual sight, I ask him to, I, as he fed the poor, I, I ask God to continue to feed me spiritually and practically uh, through his providential care. Um, by raising the dead, he showed us that he would reconcile those who were dead and sin back to their father in heaven. It's like the story when he raised the young girl from the dead, if you think about it. He, she was laying in the bed dead. Now, now the, the church is, is, is referred to often as the bride of Christ. And here you have this young girl who's dead and, and, and the father's standing there waiting to see what will happen if this will work. And, and, and cause he called upon the name of Jesus to, to, to assist in this in bringing her back to life. And Jesus raises her from the dead and gives her back to her father, which reminds me of the, the church being given back to the father through the son, Jesus. So those are, those are just, um, you know, um, miracle stories that, that have a greater meaning than, um, um, just the fact that they were miracles in and of themselves. I'll give you another one more, which is, you know, the, 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 one of the first recorded miracles in the Bible was Jesus turning, um, water into wine at the wedding. What I particularly like about that story, it's written. We know that it's written, um, many years after Jesus had lived and died. And it says, it starts out saying on the third day, there was a wedding. Now that right there, is tells us, you know, that there's a greater implications in the story. Yes, on the third day, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And it was on that day that there's a wedding between the believer and God um, and the church and God. So <clears throat> so we know that um, um, that in his ministry, that the 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 early um, the early ministry of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus from 30 years on, 30 years old on, approximately 30 years on, was, was rejected by first century religious leaders and their followers. They accused him of, of blasphemy, of false teaching, about, of being a false prophet, and he was a threat to their existence. He was ex a threat to their power, um, and they didn't like it, and they they tried to trick him all the time and trap him into saying things that were against the Torah. And he he provided a reinterpretation of the Torah, and I say that because he would say things like, "You've heard it said, but I'm telling you this." And so, because of that, eventually they arrested him. He was arrested. He was detained. He was accused of false charges. He was beaten. He was slapped. He was he was spit on. He was he. You know, God created man from the dust of the earth in his hands. And now when he is in the hands of men, what do they do? They nail him to a cross. They laid him down, nailed him to a cross um, and put the cross upright. And there he hung, left to die. And he was falsely accused. And I've got news for us today that he's still falsely accused of wrongdoing. Um, and, you know, we, we as people, we have this great theological question, um, you know, why do bad things happen and we blame it on God? <clears throat> well, um, we have to be careful about doing that. Uh, on, the, on that cross, when we talk about the ministry of Jesus and what do we know about Jesus, there's one of the things that comes to my mind is the fact that he was, he was nailed and hanging in between two thieves, two criminals, right? Imagine that. God is being placed on a hill between two criminals as though he were guilty of a crime. The son of God was now crucified by the humanity that he loved. Um, the good news in that story for one of those thieves was that he said, um, remember me in your kingdom. And, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So what a reversal of fortune. This was the best day of this thief's life. I mean, there he was, condemned for his crime, 
hanging a crucified, a, a, a brutal um, system of capital punishment, a brutal execution. This thief, the good thief as they called him, he was hanging next to Jesus. And, and at the last moment, in his last moments of life, he says, remember me in your kingdom, right? And Jesus says, today you'll be with, with me in paradise. What a reversal of fortune. So there's, there's nobody that's beyond redemption. There's nobody that's beyond salvation. There's nobody that's beyond being placed in right standing with God. So on the cross, as we were talking to Daniel and it came up that Jesus cried out from the cross. Now here he is hanging on the cross and he, he, he after being thoroughly brutalized, he assumes the posture of a high priest and he asks God to forgive. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And like I said to Daniel, I really believe that he was speaking not only to the people who were nailing him to the cross, but he was talking about us as well. Um, so I know that he asked, what do I know about Jesus? I know that he asked God to forgive us. And forgiveness is at the core of the Christian doctrine and theology. Without forgiveness, we, God's forgiveness, we are unable to be in right standing with God. We have offended God. And God sent his only begotten son that we might be restored, reconciled, redeemed, and pardoned from our sin. Um, and then we know that Jesus died on the cross. He said, it's finished. And he, he said, I commend my spirit into your arms. And, and when he says that, it makes me wonder, do we commit our lives to God in this world? Um, and what would that look like? If, if we claim to do that, how would we live that out? And I think that <clears throat> we're not left without instruction. I mean, um, uh, if we just simply look at the ministry of Jesus, we can see how he helped everyone, the, the people in need, the marginalized, the oppressed, the suffering, the sick, he, he, a woman who was bleeding for 12 long years. Um, and when she was nameless in the story, the story starts out with her nameless and suffering and marginalized from society. And what did Jesus do? He, he touched her. She touched him. They encountered one another. She goes away healed. And not only does she go away healed, but he calls her the one who was nameless. He calls her daughter. So now she's, she's daughter to the son of God. Um, so when I look at all of the minute, the actual ministry of Jesus, it kind of leads us to how we can be better people in this troubled world that we live in. And that, that's what I walk away. So we know that when he committed his, he says, I commend my spirit into your hands. How does that lead? What kind of example does that give us? Do we find ourselves being led by godly principles of, uh, as we serve God and, and try to serve humanity? Or are we, are we, do we fall to um, letting consumerism and uh, acquisition of goods and, and, and wealth to, to be the dominant um, force in our driving our life? I like to think that I commit my life to the hands of God and service of God and people. And that's another important part. You can't be so religious that you serve God to the, to the neglect of the people around you. There's, it's a two-way thing. You have to serve God and the people are all in your community. So, you know, when he died, the Bible says that the earth shook and the sky darkened. The veil of the temple was separated. The, I'm sorry, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. That's, that's a way of saying that, first of all, this temple, the veil, there was a curtain in the temple that, that separated um, the, the, the humanity people from the presence of God who dwelt behind this curtain, behind the veil. And it was a place that only the high priest could go in once a year to offer a sacrifice for the um, temporary atonement for the sins of the people. Um, that separation ripped. It was torn from the top to the bottom 
on that moment when the when the uh, the the sky darkened and this veil of the temple ripped from top down. This was surely a sign of God's intervention. It was surely the presence of God was now accessible to all of humanity through the atoning acts of Jesus. So then they, they took him down and they laid him in a borrowed tomb. As, as uh, Daniel said earlier, um, he didn't have anything. He had the clothes on his back. And a wealthy man came, a friend came, and placed him in a borrowed tomb. You know, we like to, to say that the tomb was borrowed because he wouldn't need it that long. <laughs> because on the third day, when they went looking for him, just like he said, he rose, he wasn't there. He rose from the dead. It was, it was early on a Sunday morning. He was resurrected, raised from the dead. The death could not hold him captive. He lives, he lives today, and as the songwriter said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Now, there's one other thing I'd like to say. Um, uh, well, there's a couple of things I'd like to say. I'm going to just relax for a minute. I feel like I got to go somewhere, but I'm just going to relax for a minute. Um, I also know that he's coming back again. So the question for us today, knowing that he's coming back is this, how does it shape our life? How does it impact your ministry knowing that he may come back at any moment? How will he find you? How will he find you in service to God, in service to humanity? Um, what do we do to, to prepare for his coming? And all I say that we can do is try to live our lives in a way that doesn't harm people. Try to help folks. Try to live with acts of charity, kindness, grace, and mercy. Um, and, and lead people to a place of, of or try to show people a path to a place of wholeness and, and, and proper relationship with God. So, you know, I talked about today, we talked about what do we know about Jesus and we talked very briefly about it. It's certainly a bigger topic than, than a, a one hour can, can capture. But I can also tell you and answer this question of what do I know about Jesus? I can also tell you who he is not. I can tell you that he is not the one who you put in a, a box and carry around in your back pocket to pull him out when you need him to serve you. That's not how it works. He's not the one that serves, uh, that gives a rubber stamp of approval to any supremacist, racist, um, religious, selfish religious ideology. He's not that one. He's not the one to shower you with financial blessings while you close your eyes to the suffering of the poor and while you ignore the deprivation and hunger around you. He's not the one who closes his eyes to injustice. God sees it all. He's not the one who approves of one ethnicity over another. He doesn't honor black over white or white over black. You know, the church is the church, you know, where most of us are, are housed in red brick buildings where, where all people are embraced with the love of God. But I can tell you this, he is the one who will pull you up out of the quicksand of life struggles the more you struggle and fight in it, just like quicksand is, the more it swallows you. But God can lift you. Just as he was resurrected from the dead, he can resurrect us in and through our struggles. He can pick us up, pull you out of the, the quicksand and put your feet on a solid rock, as we say, and put a new song in your mouth, a song of praise. He is the one who still intercedes on our behalf. What do I know about Jesus? 
I know that he is our great high priest. His miracle working power is still at work today. Some people say, well, the day, the age of miracles are over. That was all in the early church. And, and I said, well, wait a minute. I consider the, the, um, the transformation of my life as being miraculous. Some people have heard my testimony. They know that as a teenager, I wanted to be a musician. I had some success in that business, um, um, but it didn't, it wasn't, I found out after, as, as, after being immersed in that level of success that it wasn't, that wasn't what brought peace and joy into my life. Um, I went, I moved into the international banking business. I thought that would be it on Wall Street, but guess what? <clears throat> that wasn't what brought um, peace and joy and wholeness into my life. And now I'm in, in the ministry full time, and this is where God, I believe, has called me to be. So his miracle work and power is still at work today. He's still changing lives, transforming people's lives through the power of his spirit and the truth of his word. There is hope. There's nobody, just like the thief on the cross, there is nobody who truly encounters Christ whose life cannot be changed. We all have that somebody in our family who we think is beyond um, salvation, beyond help. But guess what? These are the ones who God uh, can has the power to change their lives. Look at Paul, the great contributor to the New Testament. He used to kill Christians. Um, he was the enemy of the church and, and God arrested his spirit and used him to be one of the most um, prolific um, writers and ministers in the church history. So um, nobody is, uh, is beyond God's rescuing. Um, his miracle work and power is still at work today. Um, this, this way of salvation that we talk about is attainable today as a free gift of God. You know, the, the, the songwriter said his blood still works today. It reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. I'm going to remind you of this, that in the, in the book of Revelations, um, you know, the, the entire Bible from beginning to end, from the Exodus story, we, we see a picture of God who calls people out of the bondage of slavery and suffering. At the end of, of the Bible, in Revelations, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So God wants us to open the door and leave it open. He doesn't want to, to have the door open on Sunday morning. He wants to have the door open all the time. He wants to live within us. He is the one who wants to be our guide in the dark. He wants to be our healer, our provider, our power, and our strength. The truth of the matter, when we wonder what do we know about Jesus, he is the one who loves us. He's the one who cares for us. He, he knows all about our struggles. He knows about our tomorrow. And we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because he's already there. He wants, for those of you who are listening, they say, well, I know the Lord. I would say to you that he is the one who wants to be a bigger part in your life. He wants to take you to a, to graduate you to a higher level of service, of discipleship and worship. He wants to lift us higher. I don't care how long you've been in the church. Uh, he wants to lift you just like a, a mother eagle teaching a baby eagle how to fly above the storm. He wants to prosper you. He has plans to prosper you and to give you a future. He wants us to, I'll say this in closing, he wants us to slow down a little bit. I think I, I, think I can say this comfortably about Jesus. Um, he wants us to slow down and in all of our busyness, don't miss out on the voice of God. Even if it's busyness in the church and in the life and ministry, ministry practice, don't be so busy that you stop seeking and hearing from God. And if you feel like God is far from you and not hearing your prayers, if when you pray all you think that you get is silence from God, then listen a little closer. Let what you think is silence cause you to lean closer and hear the quiet voice of God. So I pray now that Lord, let the silence quiet us and disturb our complacency. 
And in the midst of our silence, let our needs be touched, let our pride be broken, and let the silence shrink some of our certainties and enlarge our faithful inquiries. I enjoyed being with you today. I pray that God will continue to bless your life and prosper you spiritually in the days ahead as we move towards celebrating the Easter. Thank you for being with me. God bless you, and I'll see you soon.